Episode 4, Paul and Tanya Abramson. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. You're listening to A.G. Geiger Presents Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular Mayfair Hotel right here in downtown L.A. Today, I'm meeting Paul and Tanya Abramson, two artists and scholars who explore the darker regions of art and trauma. Having survived harrowing upbringings, they discovered a path beyond survival in which making and sharing powerful art not only liberates them, but inspires others. They're here to talk about the course they developed and now teach as part of UCLA's honor curriculum. I waved them across the Art Deco lobby of the historic hotel. Paul is wiry, fit, sporting black jeans and a punk leather jacket over a black t-shirt with a crying for Kafka logo, the imprint of their band. Tanya, likewise fit, tosses back a mane of auburn hair and points me out to Paul. They walk over with the grace and confidence possessed by performers. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. Oh yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 I'm Michael Delgado, your host, and today I'm meeting Paul and Tanya Abramson. Paul is a professor of psychology at UCLA and one of the world's leading authorities on sex. His numerous books, published on both MIT and Oxford imprints, are redemptive narratives, enlivened by science and the law, and include pleasure, thoughts on the nature of human sexuality, and Sex Appeal, Six Ethical Principles of the 21st Century. He's also the lead singer of the punk band Crying for Kafka and has opened for bands such as the Meat Puppets and has collaborated on a musical, The Saint of Fucked Up Karma, with Robin Fink of Nine Inch Nails. Tanya Love Abramson is a conceptually focused visual artist, lecturer, writer, and performer, and a survivor of chronic childhood sexual abuse. Drawing on her life story, her art delves into the elusive psychological manifestations of trauma and the potential for resilience in its aftermath. Tanya lectures internationally and in the U.S. and is the author of two books, Shame and the Eternal Abyss, which explores the dual experiences of shame and disassociation, and Concern, an obliquely crafted narrative and photographs in a poetic structure. Together they produce, and now teach, a course titled Art and Trauma at UCLA and also host workshops on the topic throughout the U.S. and Europe. Paul suggested I open our interview with a clip from one of the songs uh, from the musical The Saint of Fucked Up Karma. This clip is entitled Run, Frank, Run. Thank you. 
I, I like music like that, and, and I expect you're going to tell me why you asked us to open the interview with that. Um, but perhaps you could tell me why you and Tanya are uniquely suited to teach a class on art and trauma. Well, obviously, it's a balance between our, our academic skills um, and our professional work as well as our art. And the song that you just heard comes from a musical I wrote. Actually, the music was written with Robin Fink of Nine Inch Nails and Crying for Kafka, which is my band. It tells this tragic case of a um, 13-year-old boy. Um, well, it, it, the case is about a police officer caught in the act of raping a 13-year-old boy. And the case gets much worse from there. So that's one of the main arcs of that musical. It's called The Saint of Fucked Up Karma. The second arc is the integration of my life history, which I grew up in a very violent, abusive family. And one of the questions always asked of me was, oh, how did you get involved in this? And actually the title comes from the boy's, the, the pseudonym we use for him in, in, the, in, the, in the musical is Porter. Porter's mother was in, in, in reality a prostitute. And one time going through this case, it went on for years, she turned to me and said, you're such a saint for working on these kinds of cases. So the title of Saint of Fucked Up Karma is not disingenuous. It was a truly fucked up case. The you know, police officer getting caught in the act of raping her son, and it got much worse from there. The attorney who uh, brought me into the case had to leave halfway through because he was diagnosed with ALS and died shortly thereafter. Every single thing about this case was horrific. And many years later, it was horrific as well. It just haunted me. And so my art has always been this integration of these tragedies and traumas, because we obviously we teach the UCLA art trauma class, that I've somehow morphed this into this artistic representation. And it's, and it's fed by two other things, one of which is I'm a professor of psychology at UCLA, so I have all that sort, of, sort of technical stuff. But 40 years, I've been an expert witness in these really tragic, traumatic cases, not only rape and sexual assault and those sorts of things, um, but I was the, sole, uh, the expert of the sole survivor of the Metrolink train tragedy. And I've been involved in these terrible, fatal accidents where there's been a precipient witness or survivor. Um, so the collection of my expert witness work, uh, my art, um, being a professor of psychology at UCLA, and all the sort of academic writing and stuff I do, I was a good one half of this case. And Tanya brings a, another set of skills to the class. Done. So um, my uh, contribution to the class uh, started um, with personal experiences in my life. I was chronically sexually abused from the ages of four to seven, and that uh, really had an impact, long-term impact on my life, both uh, psychologically, um, health, and, and all sorts of things. And at some point, I really decided that that needed to come forth in my art, in my academic work, and uh, lectured about it in many different venues. And uh, for, you know, in a few examples, I created a book called Shame and the Eternal Abyss. What is the abyss? The abyss is a place 
that I go to when I experience shame and it sends me into a place of dissociation. And this is a, an experience that I think is very relatable to, you know, not just victims of child sexual abuse, but of, um, you know, many times when people are affected by severe traumas of different kinds. And so um, I created all of these drawings and paired them with poetry and, um, you know, published this book. I've done uh, quite a few other conceptual uh, artworks. Um, and one comes to mind specifically called In Case of Shame. And in that one, I custom fabricated a safety cabinet and it's uh, in reference to a fire extinguisher cabinet. It houses a sledgehammer and uh, the front is, the glass is completely shattered and broken and written upon it is, in case of shame, break glass. And there's also a warning uh, note that says, um, warning may have unintended consequences. So these are the kinds of things that in my you know, work I've explored and I feel um, translate into, um, into this class. So this, this class is a, an entire course and if I sign up for it, what am I to learn? So there, it's a 10 week, I mean, it's a regular class at UCLA, but it comes under the, uh, within the Honors Collegium. So the normal UCLA classes are, or college classes are three credits. This is a five credit class. Um, we created 30 hours of lectures. Um, part of it, and before going with lectures, there were four, re four books. And we carefully selected these books so they went along to these four categories of severe trauma. We were looking for, I mean, trauma is ubiquitous. And, but we wanted to focus our attention on four um, enduring traumas that were, were easily recognizable. So they're, they're psychiatric institutionalization. Now that's a real historical one, which I'll explain in a second. Slavery, historical and contemporary. Um, child sexual abuse and war. And so our books correspond with those categories. And one of the sort of most striking books we used were, was a, a new book by a Cambodian artist whose name is Vanek Prum. Prum? Prum. Prum. <laughs> and the title of the book is The, the Dead Eye and the Deep Blue Sea. It's, it's a graphic memoir. And Publishers Weekly Review of it describes startup, this is like a story written in blood. I mean, it was an incredible story with a miraculous ending. I mean, he was kidnapped, put out on the boats, I mean, basically a slave out in the boats in Southeast Asia, he saw decapitations and rapes and all these other kind of things. He escapes but gets captured again and gets sold to working on a plantation. He finally escapes that. He was always a, a visual artist, a cartoonist, and he would do drawings on the boats or whatever else and eventually survived by doing tattoos. Um, we used mixed of charcoal and all this other kind of stuff. Fascinating tale. I mean, no one knew about him except that the U.S. State Department had already given him an award that Hillary Clinton was actually the, the, the person who gave him the award as one of the most, the 10 most important people in human trafficking, mm. whatever else. And so then this book was put out and this, and I'm, I'm going to point for a second. So this book was put out and, put out and we read it. We thought this was fabulous for our course. 
And at some point in time, I, there, there are a couple co-authors on it who helped him. It's as a, is, is, because he speaks no English. It was as told to, so the couple as told to, and he does all the drawings in it. At some point, I decided, well, maybe I should write to those as told to people. Hmm. And just tell them we're using this class, whatever else. We started this correspondence with um, the woman's name is Jocelyn. It was Jocelyn. And we, one idea we had, this is to give something about our teaching philosophy, was that what if our students could directly ask the author about his book? So we asked our students to you know, come up with all these questions. I wrote Jocelyn, would Vanek answer them? And, and she wrote back, she said, yeah, yeah, send us these questions. Vanek's going to answer all your questions. So this, cl this class is part of the school of psychology? Or? Uh, no, it's, it's a separate school. It's called the Honors Collegium. Ah. So they're just honors classes. Um, do you remember some of the other titles of the classes? There are a lot of interesting classes. Um, there were some that were, you know, focused on film and, uh, you know, I so, really can't remember. So, but, it, but the focus then is trauma and how people deal with it. No, and, so, so, so it, no, it's, it's to some, but it's really to art class. So it's looking at unparalleled artistic visions that fall in the wake of severe trauma. Ah. And so that's what the focus is. So we're looking at severe trauma and the artistic visions that manifested in its wake. And then look at that in terms of you know, interpreting it, um, the language that's inherent in the art, um, the, the backstory of the artist, and so forth. And to finish this brief little thing about um, uh, Van Eck. So he answers our questions, but he sends in this little video of himself in Cambodian thanking us for this. <clears throat> and as fate would have it, we had a Cambodian student in our class. She could translate it. So we created a class video in Cambodian back to him. Oh, nice. And had this, I mean, so the class kind of worked like that. It was, you know, the other books we used was, um, we used Lenore Carrington's Down Below, which is her diary of um, psychiatric institutionalization, which fit the psychiatric part. Um, the book on war was The Woman in Berlin, and our book on child sexual abuse was Shame in the Eternal Abyss. And then we would lecture about all these artists who have traumatic histories, like David Wojnarowicz um, is sort of a contemporary one that there's gotten a lot of attention to. But I mean, even the um, I Am Man movement, which grew out of, uh, what's the Wedgwood? Just, Josiah Wedgwood? Do you know about this story? I don't. That's a fascinating no. story. So Wedgwood created a medallion, which was an anti-slavery uh, medallion back in the day. And it was quite fascinating. And, and it was in England, and it was influential in getting them to um, uh, eliminate slavery. But he sent a bunch of them to, to um, Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin started distributing around in the United States. Yeah. And then when the Martin Luther King got involved in the uh, Memphis strike. The, the thing on the placards was, I am man. It was based on this, the medallion. Oh, yes, no, 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 yeah. Okay. And now the contemporary artists, who are the contemporary artists who use it? So we have uh, Glenn Legon and Hank Wallace Thomas have both used that. Yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. So. And so we also integrate with our personal experience. I mean, I just... So did, I there, you don't make art in the class. It's the, well, just, well, we do that too. Well, we do. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. so, so Tanya's going to talk about studio components of the oh, class. Okay. Yeah, Great. so I'll talk about that. So... So basically, um, the, it's really this hybrid of art and psychology and bringing these things together. But we decided to add a studio component because we thought it would just make it much more engaging and interesting to the students. 
and we found from the students that they were all, or you know, I would say, uh, the vast majority were interested in art in some way, but it didn't fit, you know, into their major. So uh, I created these exercises that could provide empathy or allow them to experience um, and explore some of their own traumas. They weren't. Um, required to but many of them did kind of dig in yeah. to those and so um, their first project was to explore emotion through line and then their second project was their midterm which was to create a zine and it needed to be in one of those four categories that we have and that's where a lot of people really kind of um, talked about some of their personal stories. The Cambodian student talked about her family who had come over to the U.S. from Cambodia. And then... Stay with the, 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 uh, the room. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then... We had two kids in the class yeah. from... Uh, were in 9-11, the, the Twin Towers. Oh. One in it, right. and one was just a block or so from Right. Wow. Right. Um, Quite incredible story. Another and one because know. we cover psychiatric history. Another one's grandmother who's lobotomized. <laughs> and, you know, just like, that's what I mean. The, the class was actually exceeded every um, idea, imagination, expectation that we ever had for it. It's the only class of its kind in the world. I mean, we just invented this class. And, right. and it, it, the, the inspiration for it or the sort of the click that made it happen was this this interesting story, which I'll let you tell. <laughs> All right. So um, back in uh, late November of 2017, um, Paul and I attended a lecture of the Gorilla Girls. And for those who may not have heard of the Gorilla Girls, it's a group of anonymous women artists who wear gorilla masks. They've been around since the mid-'80s and they um, delve into issues, uh, feminist issues, uh, as well as other um, social justice issues, primarily in the art world, but really their reach is much well beyond that. Very active, um, doing all kinds of really incredible things. And so we attended this lecture. It was um, hosted by the now retired professor, Richard Ross from UC Santa Barbara. And we were talking with and meeting with both the Gorilla Girls and Richard Ross after the talk. And Richard turned to us and said, Well, you're you know, leaving something out. So the Gorilla Girls, were, the Gorilla Girls were, were, were saying how much they, the one, it was Kathy Colwitz, yeah. was saying how much she really liked Shame the Eternal Abyss. And he was seeing that interaction. Then he turns to us and says, that the theme of art and trauma is really quite relevant right now and you know partially in, re in uh, reference to the Me Too movement um, looking at uh, sexual assault and sexual violence but really be because those themes uh, are along the same lines as my book but um, we just took that in um, into this broader context and you know light bulbs went off after that we got home from that uh, lecture and that's the impetus yeah. for the class. That's what we said we gotta create a class on art and trauma. Not that anyone was asking us for the class. <laughs> right. And then we had no idea if anyone would want it, whatever else. And then we started writing all these scholarly articles about it and whatever else. And that's that's been the the impetus and the trajectory we're on. And like we're in a couple of weeks we're giving a talk about this to the Art Institute of Chicago. 
Then we have invited talks to Leiden University and Cardiff University and Oxford trying to work out times with us. And these are in March. You know, the, the Chicago Art Institute one is in, in February. So I'm curious then in terms of the art portion of it and, uh, you know, it, it's not art as therapy, right? It's just... No, so, so the only thing that's kind of a parallel to this is, is there, you can find modules in the art therapy movement about art and trauma. And art, art therapy is driven by two fundamental ideas, one of which is that there's something therapeutic about creating art. And secondarily, not everybody's verbal. And if you create a therapeutic, you know, melu, or format, whatever else, that requires everyone to be verbal, you know, you're limiting it. people who aren't necessarily comfortable with that. Now, historically, it's been like, okay, kids, that makes sense, kids do it. But um, the art therapy movement is really um, to use those, those fundamental insights uh, to find a, a non-literal, non-verbal method of, of therapeutic practice. And so what we're really looking at are the visions of artists um, that follow in the wake of severe trauma. And we could go through a long list of artists, and, or either personal or through identification with the trauma, like Kara Walker's work on slavery, right. uh, Nancy Spiro's work. Uh, her husband was a soldier, um, um, so his obviously comes out of personal experience. But Otto Dix, um, uh, even... Ed and Nancy Kienholz, yeah, their piece, the the bear chair. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they show it in museums, they it's actually about child sexual abuse, but they have to put a screen around it, so right. the inadvertent. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at artworks that really, you know, relate to trauma, severe trauma, and we use the word severe trauma because um, the World Health Organization used that designation, and what they were trying to differentiate were with those sorts of traumas that had a likelihood of leading to post-traumatic stress disorder. So, I mean, it's obviously traumatic to go through a divorce, it's obviously traumatic to lose grandparents, whatever else, but they were looking at a categories of trauma that, you know, were kind of springboards for post-traumatic stress disorder. And they had very stringent criteria. Um, slavery, war, sexual violence, all these sorts of things were, and so we used those, that, that was our, our frame of reference for finding artists who either identified with that or had experiences like that. And then we, we take the notion of that, you know, art is language, that there's, there's, there is a non-intuitive form of language. And what language do these, do these works speak? Um, and so we use biographical information, archival information, historical context, and those sort of things as a way of interpreting. And this is a, a, a sort of a transition or a different perspective than the, than the John Berger and David Saleh, mm -hmm. you know, just, just sure. look at it. And from my perspective, and this is a psychology perspective, I, that's, I mean, perception is always informed by what you know um, and what you think and so forth. And people don't ever just look at something. Um, well, I mean, they, what, yeah, you come to it and you unpack your own psychological baggage. I mean, you, you mentioned the bear chair. I mm -hmm. mean, if you don't know the story, I mean, it's still a very disturbing piece, very regardless much. of whether you know what it's about. Yeah. So, um, which is, that's why I asked about, you know, therapy straight ahead versus, you know, art that is informed by some sort of tragedy. Well, we do look at, I mean, you covered the, the Vietnam Vets Masks project. 
Do you know that? I one? think it's more. Yeah, I think the artists are um, out of that project are um, active veterans, so they you know are from uh, wars that are more current. But there's a um, artist art therapist by the name of Melissa Walker, I believe, who works with um, veterans and create these masks. And I decided to incorporate that in the class because even though this is clearly um, an art therapy realm, um, it's taking something um, using a mask, which when you think of masks, you usually think of, of concealing. But these masks are meant to reveal, reveal hmm. something of, of these soldiers' inner psyches. And they're, when you look at them as a whole, they're quite stunning. They're disturbing, they're horrific, they're beautiful. But the thing um, is that they're meant to be done as that therapeutic or healing means and allowing um, these soldiers' voices to come forth. Um, but they are all are unique. And so there is this sort of crossover, and I definitely talk about it in the course. Um, you know, probably a tiny fraction of, of those soldiers ever saw themselves as artists in any way. Right. You know. I, and you'll have to um, get me some where I can find the images because a lot, a lot. Since in this thing we, we talk a lot about visual arts, and so we post things on agegeiger.com so you can yeah. uh, follow National along Ge with what we're talking about. Yeah, National Perfect. Geographic did a big piece on these masks. So, okay. You know, and all these artists. Um, I mean, Tanya created these fabulous power. Part of the, it was a very visual class because Tanya created all these powerpoints of um, of the art. But we also included music as well because that's sort of my perspective. But which you can see that in um, like uh, Billy Holiday's uh, "Strange Fruit." Do you know that song? No. About, about lynching. That's the strange oh, fruit. God. And she often implied that she wrote this, but the guy who wrote it was a Jewish. A uh, high school teacher in New York who had happened to see this terrible picture of lynching and wrote this song, Strange Fruit Swinging from the Poplar Trees. Um, it riveted audiences. And so, and when I talk about the Crying for Kafka song, Fuck Mom, Fuck Dad, I use that as the analogy. My song, again, is not a sort of disingenuous title, it's about these two terrible uh, child sexual abuse cases I worked on. I mean, it once gave a a sanitized lecture about it. I had a student faint in my class. I had another scream out. I had to have the paramedics come to my class. And the, the lyrics are, you know, secrets hidden well, weary infidel, pity spread on thick, morphine in the fix, Buddha hooked on meth, clown that quote Macbeth, spirits handed down, Satan is crown, fuck mom, fuck. It's really the, the energy in it, the ferocity of it is really about child abuse. And her song is a different way of doing it. Nina Simone's Goddamn Mississippi. Um, there's a lot of, you know, because we also did psychiatric institutionalization, we had Coco Taylor and Willie Dixon doing um, Insane Asylum. I don't know if heard that one. These are little yeah. blues songs. Sure. Um, so we tried to integrate all the various arts. Um, it was primarily visual, but we included music because that's yeah. kind of my thing as well. Well, yeah, and, and it's, a, it's an excellent vehicle too. Again, not necessarily able to speak and not necessarily able to draw, but you, know, yeah. you can make music. And we always showed the videos, the music videos, so it was, that was the visual component to it. 
So I, after I take the class, I have come away with how am I enriched? <laughs> You're enriched greatly. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you want to take you want to take what am I take supposed to have learned? Art and trauma, two point <laughs> <laughs> um, It's a different way of conceptualizing art um, and reading it. So um, something that I know you're familiar with because Paige uh, Wearily, 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 lectured in her class also. Oh, really? And yeah, it's great. Yeah, many of the um, either outsider or however you want to designate them. For our listeners, Paige Weary is the uh, owner and gallerist of Good Luck Gallery, which is an outsider uh, art gallery in Chinatown around the corner from our bookstore. So, you know, it, she presents fabulous work and, and you know and like her her and others who are familiar with that work they're aware of the Prinzhorn collection which was sort of the the jump starting this but we what we try to do is give you information to give Prinzhorn collection uh, a broader context so even if you're familiar with the work which I'm assuming you are you're nodding your head the story behind it was Hans Prinzhorn was a psychiatrist at Heidelberg Clinic and he had this theory of aesthetics and his theory of aesthetics was that all art is either decorative or play. And what he wanted were to try to find people who were, who, whose consciousness was not, was not determining the artistic visions or the representations and whose art training wasn't doing that. So he had this idea of, I'm gonna go around to all the psychiatric institution, institutions, he was German, in the German-speaking world and ask for all the artwork done there. And to prove that this is the fundamental part of art. And I don't believe that for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> after, after all that. Yeah, yeah, well, but, but, but Dubuffet did, and Picasso and whoever else, and Paul Clay and everybody else who followed that was that, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is the raw vision. Right. This is, yeah. And so we try to give the real context to these artists that are affiliated whose visions came out of sphere trauma. And, and many people who comment on Prince Lawrence's collection afterwards saying, you know, they're actually drawing or visualizing aspects of their life in those institutions. Mm-hmm. And, you, and they, you know, they've analyzed it this kind of way. Um, and their lives in these institutions were frightening. Right. You know. yeah. Lobotomies, um, you know, restraints, uh, straitjackets, all these other sorts of things. They didn't have the medications that we have now. Um, no treatments, you know, it just goes on and on. So their experiences were really horrendous on top of being mentally ill. So. And some of the art is pretty powerful that way. Right? Extremely powerful. I mean, the, thing, the, two char- the two artists I think that contemporary people are aware of um, is Van Gogh and then Edvard Munch. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we talk about those a little bit, but instead we use contemporary artists uh, across a wide screen. We talk about Luzine Hill, um, who was a victim of very brutal rape, and she created this fascinating piece um, titled Retracing the Trace, um, which we show her work. And you want to describe the piece? So Retracing the Trace... Um, is a very personal story to Luzine. She's a Native American artist of Cherokee heritage, and she was brutally raped in her, I believe in her 50s. 
and in a park in a in a park early in the morning in a park a a brutal rape and she is an artist and she was not dealing with that in her work for many many years and at some point it it began to surface and at that point um, she made a decision to be much more forthcoming about it in her work and she created an installation retracing the trace where she um, created all these uh, kipu knots, which are these Incan communication tools from ancient history. And she, I think it was 3,780 of these knots, which represented um, a particular number. I think it was all of the reported rapes um, in a year. And these were made in like a crimson red she created all these pieces. She laid down on the gallery floor in the position that she was found or was left after she was raped. And then all these kipu knots were basically scattered over her. And then when she got up, it left an imprint of her body. And then over the next, I believe it took her 60 hours, she took each of these kipu knots and attached them to the gallery wall to represent. And this is actually the 3,780 is how many reported rapes happen in one 24-hour period in the U.S. And so she um, attached those to the wall. Um, And so as she was um, doing this, she was erasing the trace of her rape but documenting the rape of all these other women. Hmm. And then she's created quite a few other installations that are specific to Native American women who are um, victims of sexual violence three times the rate of um, the rest of the U.S. population, things like that. So um, really, really powerful work. And so to answer your question, go back to it again, what, are you gonna, what, what would you learn or what do you get out of taking this class? I mean, our belief is that Art is a, is a different kind of knowledge, a different kind of language system that facilitates learning in a non-intuitive kind of way. Um, uh, and it's a way of just informing you other than all the tradition. That it, it, it's in some respects, like science, science teaches these kinds of things. Well, art teaches these kinds of things. And a, the simple, a simple way of demonstrating that is that, have you ever been to um, the Memorial to Murdered Jews in Berlin. No, been or, to the Holocaust Museum in LA. Okay. The, the, the thing, if you've been to the, murder, um, the moral, memorial to murdered Jews in Berlin or one of the concentration, like Dachau's, mm-hmm. um, memorials historically were reverential or honorific. They were statuary, they were whatever else. And, you know, these are clearly aesthetic recreations of something which are way outside the box of traditional memorial. And they teach you something different. You look at the impact of this. Like when I went to Dachau, is that how you pronounce it? Dachau. Um, you see the crematorium. I mean, crematorium is part of a memorial. Yeah. And, but the impact was, I mean, it was unforgettable. Uh, but it's done with an artistic, an aesthetic vision, and that's its value. That's what it facilitates it. And so what we're trying to do that is with the artwork as well, something that is as directly uh, um, instrumental in facilitating learning, understanding, hmm. just in a different kind of way, you know, non-traditional kind of way. 
So you were saying that now that you, the class is at UCLA, but it's getting picked up at other schools now as well? Yeah, or? so UCSB wants us to do it. Um, we're going to do, uh, we're also doing workshops, a workshop at UCSB, a workshop at um, Copper Mountain College in Joshua Tree. We're doing a workshop in, at Leiden, in, which is near Amsterdam. We're also lecturing at Leiden University. We're lecturing at Card- Cardiff University of Wales. Oxford has contacted us um, about lecturing there as well. And so, I mean, it's, we've created it now. So, I mean, you know, we had to, I mean, it took us nine months just to get the lecture material and figure out, find the art. It wasn't easy to even find the artist. I mean, if we right. go through all the artists who had been victims of child sexual abuse, many of whom you've probably never heard of. Like, you know, even though Luzine Hill has uh, shown her work in numbers, she's an MFA, she's, she's shown her work in a number of uh, museums, galleries, and just recently in, in London, um, had you ever heard of her? No. Yeah. I mean, many of the artists that, that we cover are, we purposely took those who, who aren't as well-known, but whose work is very powerful. I mean, like Emma Sulkowitz, the mattress the girl. The mattress girl. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I mean, she's. Yeah, yeah that's a for for team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, she was. She showed at a coagula right down the street. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So and then you and you're still making music. You guys still are, making music. We have a gig Friday. In fact, we've we've played twice that's in right. front of Michael's bookstore. Um, and in Chinatown, it was fabulous outdoor show, <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, we, in our history, besides we toured briefly with the Meat Puppets and opened for Bad Religion, and, and we've got that musical with Robin Fink from Nine Inch Nails, and we're, we're always playing. We play art galleries a lot. I mean, art. It's a very lyrically driven, and I refer to it as an Americana desolation punk rock band. Because I love it. It's for good stuff. That's yeah. why you've played twice in front of the store. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll pay you the the, 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 <laughs> the payola, payola later. <laughs> and then, and then Tanya, you are you've got your studio here now, and you have more work coming out, a show coming up, or what's up with you? I do not have an upcoming show, but I have a lot of things uh, in the works. So I am um, working on another book uh, called Truth Lies. And it actually stems from a book I created, a short book called Concern, which um, I'm looking at language and I'm, I'm looking at different meanings. So Concern came out of um, very ambiguous and nuanced um, definitions of that word. And Truth Lies follows that similar uh, notion and um, I expect it to be pretty powerful. It's very personal, it's philosophical, and it's definitely political as well, as you might imagine with that name. So look for that. And um, a graphic We have memoir. it in the store. We have this You have concern. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you'll have truth lies as well. I will. I'm sure I will. You got this one there, I too. I do have that. I do have it. Shame the Eternal Abyss. Right. They're available on, Shame is available on Amazon, too. Yeah. And they're on, they're on aggeiger.com as well. Um, so you, you were suggesting we go out with a, with a song, a Crying for Kafka song. So it's... So it's you want to introduce that so, and we'll send it out with that. Yeah, so the, the three arcs in the musical, The Saint of Fucked Up Karma, one of which is this terrible case, the other which is 
this my life, um, which, um, as I mentioned, you know, the sort of abusive, all the sort of stuff. And I, the main character is Frank, so the song referring to that part of the of the music, which is run, Frank, run, Frank, run, Frank. The third arc is uh, the question I'm often asked. Uh, does working on all these terrible case studies poison the well? Does it influence your sense of intimacy, your closeness, whatever else? So the, the musical kind of addresses those three things. So you, in the beginning of this, you heard the first part of Run Frank, which the, the, you're going to hear the closing chorus, um, which is just repeating the word, Run Frank, Run, Run Frank. But the two of us sing it together, Tanya and I sing it together. So I thought it was a fitting ending for, for this. Yeah. Wonderful. And thank you so very much. We're thrilled thank to you. be here. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, and we're thrilled to do this and um, go UCLA and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> hey, I'm a Trojan. Yeah. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> go USC, too. <laughs> all right, well, thank you guys very much. Our pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. All right, here we go.